Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Hey, as we start our Advent season and our Advent series for this year, today we're going to look at this little word, hope. And after 2021, man, we all need a better glimpse and a better grasp of hope. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the book of John today, chapter 3, the red letter stories. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. About four-fifths through the way of your Bible, you're going to find the book of John. Now, when Jesus shows up on the scene for the Christmas story, it's been about 400 years of silence since the stories of the Old Testament. But what kind of permeated through the entire text of the Old Testament is this idea of hope, of, of what is to come, of what uh, your place is going to be for hope, a sense of confidence that could be in what should come and what will come. And for 400 years, everyone is waiting with bated breath in anticipation of the coming king. And when Jesus shows up in John's telling of the story, he jumps right into this profound power of a hope-filled life. So let's start with a question. What does hope mean to you? How do you define hope? So let me propose something like this. How is this for a working definition? Hope is the belief that if blank happens, you'll be safe and satisfied. Now, I'm not going to fill in the blank for you because hope is unique for all of us. Because hope in and of itself is is just a placeholder. It's a substitute word for what you put your hope in. When I say, I hope, the thing that is in your mind is actually what you're talking about. The thing you're thinking about when you say, I hope, is actually what you want but it's not said out loud. So in what do you put your hope in? What are you hopeful for? See, hope is just an explanation of the confidence we have that something will happen. It's just thinking about what's coming next. So hope is actually, it's a belief. When we have hope, we have a belief that if something occurs, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be safe in my life. So there's different kinds of hope as a result of that. We can have social hope, right? Hope hope for humanity, hope for our country, hope that things are going to go the right way for us. But then there's also that more intimate personal hope. And for all of us, we've got something that satisfies that blank spot in our life. Every one of us, if your life is livable at all, you have hope. Hope is actually what makes today doable, makes today livable. It makes our lives worthwhile. In other words, uh, we're just kind of living for the now. And when that happens, when people just live for now, live for what is ever in front of them right now, what is here now, people tend to become very self-indulgent. We become very self-focused, very self-involved, and then life actually becomes unlivable. So in order to have a life that's meaningful, a life in a passionate and and confidence in tomorrow, we have to be people of hope. And as Christians, as Jesus followers, we above all else ought to be people of profound, deep, powerful, life-changing hope. So we all have to have something that we put in that blank in your definition of hope. So the big question really is, what's in your blank? And should it be changed or should it be something different? 
And that's a huge question to answer, because in our Western world, in our Western culture, we have an epidemic of hopelessness right now, and it's at crisis point. See, we all started uh, in Western society believing that if we had advances, advances in medicine, if we had advances in technology, advances in scientific method, that if we had advances in all fields of study, that our lives would become much more simple and meaningful and easy and amazing. Look at all the old science fiction movies, for example. See, that was the promise. So we had philosophers like uh, Frederick Nietzsche, and an atheist, famous for saying that if we can just get God out of the conversation, if we can just get rid of God and all the guilt and shame that is associated with him and those kind of churchy conversations, then we'll experience life in the best way possible. See, his hope was in just getting rid of God, and then we're going to be satisfied and finally feel safe. In other uh, movements over society, it was technology and advances that if it would just get to a certain point, then we're going to be satisfied to have more time for ourselves and, and feel more safe. But here's what was realized over time, that while technology might have made lives easier, we've missed the point that the problem is still internal. See, we love being busy. We love accomplishing things, achieving goals and status and significance. And so the more and more margin that technology made for us, the more we filled it with busyness and games and cat videos and lots of times just plain filth. See, through the Internet, sex trafficking is at an all-time high. Modern technology and social media has created an identity crisis particularly for our younger generations. See, technology was supposed to save, but those who put their hope in that have actually found the opposite. So now hopelessness is at an all-time high. In 2018, some research came out and we found that marriage rates are now the lowest in recorded history. People are just not hopeful that marriages can last anymore. Suicide rates in the last 15 years, they just keep rising and rising every year. Birth rates are now lower than they've ever been. There's now a concern that when you interview people, that people believe that uh, we may not even be able to replace ourselves in coming generations. The reason for that? A lot of people say we just don't want to bring kids into this crazy, messed up world. See, our trust in one another and in the government is increasingly becoming more and more poor each year as well. A Pew Research study found that 37% of people 65 and older, they actually have a high trust in the government and high trust in one another, but then it goes down. But only 25% of people 50 to 64 years old would say they trust anyone, and then it really drops. Of people 30 to 49 years old, only 12% say they trust others and the government. And then only 11% of people 18 to 29 trust anyone at all. See, everything's going in the wrong direction. Somebody help us. See, same cry. Same sense of hopelessness was felt by the people of the Old Testament crying out to Yahweh, somebody help us, come quickly. Crying out to the Messiah, show yourself, come and save us. And then on a starry night in the ancient Near East, in a little backwater town called Bethlehem, a child is born and brings new life to all of us. But see, our hope is not found in a baby. See, the Advent season is a call, a reminder for us to renew the hope that we have as Jesus followers. 
that that same baby grew up, lived a perfect life, died an all-encompassing death, took my place on a cross, and was then resurrected, and in doing so gave me hope of eternal life to come. Now here is how the story plays out. In the book of John, chapter 3, listen to how John plays the story of what that hope looks like. There's a man named Nicodemus whose hope was his belief that if I'm just good enough, if I just do the right things, I will be satisfied and safe. And Jesus, the hope of the world, comes into the picture, and he wants to say a hopeful word to Nicodemus, this Pharisee. So picking up at John chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After a dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And in here, Jesus presents a new concept to him. See, Nicodemus is confused. He's probably an older gentleman, and he goes, wait, you, what, you want me to be born again? And then picking up at verse 4, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? See, there's a profound um, irony happening here in his confusion. See, Nick is supposed to be Israel's teacher. He knows his scriptures inside and out. He's done temple for his whole life. And he thinks Jesus is saying, crawl back inside your mother's womb. See, all this does is show you just how much people need help. See, we all do. We all get confused. So Jesus replies in verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And then skipping down a few verses as Jesus begins to explain this with more passion and, and fervor about what he means, he answers the question, what does it mean to have hope in Jesus? And we pick it up on John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And this is the hope we proclaim. This is the hope that Jesus offers. This fills the hope blank in that definition of hope. See, nothing else, not popularity, not power and influence, not riches and toys, not your definition of justice and righteousness will do that. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 you're, you're confused. This world promises that no hope is sustainable. No hope is real or powerful or meaningful or, or anything that could possibly change you for the better. But the hope of Jesus Christ made possible through his death and his burial and his finishing work on the cross, his resurrection, it calls you and I to be family, to be heirs, to be princes and princesses of the Most High. See, this is the firm, fixed hope that we have. See, Christian hope is the belief that if I surrender my life to Jesus because of what he's already promised and what he has already done for me, I will be satisfied. I will be safe. And Jesus says that true, unyielding, undying, eternal hope is only found in one thing. And the reason we have such a faith crisis at any moment, a hope crisis in our world, 
is, is not because the hope of Christ is any less there and present for us now as it was back then. It's just because we've stopped paying attention to it. See, we're confused. We're, we're not listening. The white noise of the world is so loud around us that, that we've kind of stopped leaning into the true message of Christmas, which is hope came here and came near us and came to stay. See, any hope, my faith, any trusts, any identity we put in anything outside of Christ will ultimately fail every time. And the Bible makes a very, very bold statement. It says true hope, the true resources of this life, the true hope of the world is only found in this book we call the Bible. That inside of it, it holds the true hope of the world, a living hope, because Jesus came back to life. And he's living and breathing and moving and and guiding us and leading us. And he wants you to know him. And he wants to know you. He loves you and likes you. And he wants you to like and love him. See, Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, our God. See, some trust in the power structures of the world to take care of us, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. What do you put your trust in? What do you put our hope in this Christmas season? What do you put your hope into that is actually never going to fulfill what hope is? And it's a false promise, because there's a lot of common false hope promisers out there. Uh, One is such as an event that when this happens, I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied. See, when we put all our eggs in a basket of what's going to happen, uh, that certain events will take place and change my life, like I win the lotto, or I pass the exam, or I get a raise and I, I get a promotion, or I'm able to have a child, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be safe. But when you put all your eggs in a temporary basket, or on an event that may or may not happen, the same emptiness that we felt before is still going to be there after it happens or not. See, another false hope promiser has to do with possessions. If only I had that, that thing, then I'd be satisfied and then I'd be safe. See, if we were able to move into that house, then all of our problems would be solved and I'd be satisfied. We'd be safe. Uh, Nothing could hurt us. Nothing could damage us. Nothing could come between us. And then finally, I would feel deep contentment if only I had that thing. If only I was able to make more money or if I was able to finally get that car. And then it just never really provides what it promises. A third false hope promiser that a lot of us fall for is actually people. It often happens when you're coming out of uni or you're of uni age or you've just come out of a breakup with someone and you start feeling pretty insecure about yourself, maybe a little bit lonely. And then all of a sudden that first person that gives you a little notice, that kind of looks your way, that kind of barks up your tree, you go, you know what? I'm going to date that person because it just feels right. See, they might be a really bad decision. They, they really might not be anything close to what you're actually looking for in a future spouse. But you know what? It just feels good to be wanted right now. So we put our faith and our hope in that. And then you find out what everybody before you has always found out. 
people are a lousy replacement for the hope that can only be found in Jesus. And then there's this last false hope promiser, and that is circumstances. If, if only I was in power, I'd make all the right decisions around here, and things would be better. If only I was taller or thinner or stockier or better looking. If only I was more athletic or smarter or, or had a different family. And so we put all of our hope in circumstances that may or may not ever happen. See, the most dangerous position the human soul can ever be in is to promise yourself that if you had X, you'd be satisfied, only then to accomplish X and realize it was nothing. But, but listen, in that hope lostness, Jesus whispers, listen, in that midst of hopelessness, Jesus whispers in the void and he says, I've got a hope that's better. So what is that hope? What is the hope that's better? What does a hope based in Jesus actually provide? Because you hear the word a lot around Christmas, hope, hope in Jesus. But what does that actually provide? Well, number one, it releases the past to allow me to move on. You see, if something happens to me, something horrific in my past, if I don't have hope that God can and will make all things new, that he will ultimately be the good judge and bring justice in that situation, what it's going to do is, if I don't believe that, it's going to cause me to cling on to that past really, really strongly. Only I can bring justice. And until I do, I will be bitter and I will be angry and I will get even in any way I can because I'm not going to let go. But hope allows me to let that stuff go. See, you still hold people accountable for their own stuff and what, what they got to do, but you do it without bearing a grudge. You do it without being hate-filled and vindictive or vengeful. See, hope allows me to say, if I let this go, I know God's going to take it and make it into something better than I ever could have. The second thing that a hope based in Jesus provides is that it actually empowers my present perseverance. I mean, why should I stick it out this season? Why should I see that through? Why should we not quit on that relationship? Why should I not quit on my church? Why should I not quit on, on that marriage? Why should I not quit on that and that? Why? 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 Because hope is to come. Because there is a hope that is to come. It'll make sense of all this stuff. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about when it says life is now like looking at a foggy, broken mirror. But one day, one day we'll see all of life's circumstances perfectly clear. And we're going to see them with Jesus face to face. And it'll all be sorted out. So between now and then, you don't quit. I don't quit. I hold on tight to the promise that God's desire for my life will become clearer and clearer in Christ, who gives me power to persevere in the now, in the present. And then lastly, our hope in Jesus, it defines my confidence. It defines my future confidence. Why can I wake up every day, and even in this COVID season, during the worst seasons of our life, and, and, and deal with loneliness and separation and sometimes deep depressions of the deepest anxieties and deepest hurts and deepest pains? How do you keep going when you're carrying that and still get up day after day and be and do who God wants you to be and do? Because one day, there'll be no more tears. One day, there'll be no more pain. One day, there'll be no more suffering. One day, there'll be no more COVID 
lockdowns, no more betrayal, no more tension in our relationships. The fights will stop. The wars will all come to an end. And I can put my feet on the floor day after day and take those steps towards another day with Jesus in his power. See, my hope in Jesus gives me that reason to persevere. There will come a day where every bit of your hurt, your mental anxieties, your depression will be wiped away by the king of the universe. And as he said in John 3, you must be born again, though. You, you got to find that new identity in Jesus. See, ironically, in our commerce-focused Christmas season, true lasting hope doesn't actually come from getting something new. See, biblical hope is based on Jesus' promise not to get something new, but to make me into something new. It says that if I'm willing to submit myself to Jesus, be who God has created me to be, and allow him to create a new life in me, to be born again, to let the old self be put to death, the things of the old flesh to be gone, and to live a new life in Christ, when I do that, then God will make me into what he wants me to be. He does that with all of us. And we will then see amazing kingdom-shaped miracles and things happen in us and through us and all around us. See, the real problem, it's never them. It's never external. See, that was Nicodemus's problem. For him, it was other people's fault. That it's because they weren't living up to what God demanded. And in our Western world today, it's still always them. It's an external problem. It's them, that group, that race, that government, whatever. And the solution is always internal. And, and think about what we say. Our attitude defines our altitude. Or if you can dream it, you can be it. Or the way you feel inside is what matters. So change the external circumstances and you'll be happy. See, you are the god of your own circumstances in this Western society of ours. And everyone else is messed up. Everyone else is the problem, but you, you are the solution to the problem. And if only you would work hard enough or try more or speak up louder or take a stand, if only you would force the change, you would then know who you are. And it's all about you, 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 you. But it's never about us. It's always about Jesus. And Jesus flips that on his head. And the God and, and, and the Bible says the problem is actually an internal problem. And the solution is actually an external solution. The solution is found in Jesus. See, the Bible flips everything upside down on its head. Know what the biggest issue is with Brian Crumb's life? It's me. It's not others. It's my issues. It's my problem. See, the Bible shows us that since I'm the problem, since you're the problem, you need an external hope and an external help that is bigger than you. You need someone to save you. And what we need saving from is not the world. We need saving from ourselves, our own selfishness, our own self-righteousness, our own inability to get out of our and God's own way. See, I've got to put that to death every day. And, and walk in, in, in the new, in Christ, who is my external solution. And once I realize that my sin is actually the problem and Jesus is the only solution, 
then, then there's this powerful, all by sometimes quiet glimmer of hope. See, that's God. Through Jesus, he makes all things new. So wherever you find yourself today, in the middle of this hopeless culture, may you be a hope-filled person. Not because of what you're going to do, and not because of who's going to like you and stand next to you and support you, or what money you could possibly get, or not because of what position you're going to hold. But may it be because you are firmly fixed on the only thing that can never be taken away from you, and that's the love of Jesus. A love for you that is so real and so deep that he died on the cross for you. And he's already done it. He's already done that. The future is already secured in him. Jesus won and calls you beloved. Nothing else is of importance when those two things are true. You plus Jesus equals enough. That's it. All we need to do is allow him to lead our life. Allow him to be our Lord and Savior because he's our hope. And once you receive that and once you live into that, we then pass that lived out hope onto others. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.